0: Part fifteen, of Volume three of Plutarch's Parallel Lives.--This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit librivox Volume three of Plutarch's Parallel Lives of the Noble Greeks and romans. Translated by Bernadotte Perrin. Marcus Licinius Crassus. Part four. Even as he spoke such words of encouragement, Crassus saw that not many of his men listened with any eagerness. But when he also bade them to raise the battle cry, he discovered how despondent his army was. So weak, feeble, and uneven was the shout that they made, while that which came from the barbarians was clear and bold. Then, as the enemy got to work, their light cavalry rode round on the flanks of the Romans and shot them with arrows, while the mail clad horsemen in front plying their long spears, kept driving them together into a narrow space, except those who, to escape death from the arrows, made bold to rush despondently upon their foes. These did little damage, but met with a speedy death from great and fatal wounds, since the spear which the Parthians thrust into their horses was heavy with steel, and often had impetus enough to pierce through two men at once. After fighting in this manner till night came on, the Parthians withdrew, saying that they would grant Crassus one night in which to bewail his son, unless, with a better regard for his own interests, he should consent to go to Arasces, instead of being carried there. The Parthians then bivouacked nearby, and were in high hopes, but it was a grievous night for the Romans. They took no steps to bury their dead, nor to care for their wounded and dying, but every man was lamenting his own fate. Escaped seemed impossible. Whether they waited there for day to come or plunged by night into a limitless plain, and their wounded caused them much perplexity. They were sure to impede flight if they were carried away, and if they were left behind, their cries would herald to the enemy the retreat of their companions. Although the soldiers held Crassus to blame for all their ills, still they yearned to see his face and hear his voice. But he was lying on the ground by himself, enveloped in darkness to the multitude, an illustration of the ways of fortune, but to the wise, an example of foolish ambition, which would not let him rest satisfied to be the first and greatest among many myriads of men, but made him think, because he was judged inferior to two men only, that he lacked everything. At this time, then, Octavius, the legate, and Cassius tried to rouse him up and encourage him, But since he was in utter despair, they called together on their own authority the centurions and captains, and when they had decided, upon deliberation, not to remain where they were, they put the army in motion without trumpet signal, and in silence at first. Then the sick and wounded perceived that their comrades were abandoning them, and dreadful disorder and confusion, accompanied by groans and shouts, filled the camp. And after this, as they tried to advance, disorder and panic seized upon them for they felt sure that the enemy was coming against them. Frequently they would change their course. Frequently they would form in order of battle. Some of the wounded who followed them had to be taken up, and others to be laid down, and so all were delayed, except three hundred horsemen under Ignatius, who reached Carhai about midnight. Ignatius hailed the sentinels on the walls in the Roman tongue, and when they answered, ordered them to tell Coponius, their commander, that there had been a great battle between Crassus and the Parthians. Then, without another word, and without even telling who he was, he rode off to Zygma. He saved himself and his men, but got a bad name for deserting his general. However, the message shouted to Caponius at that time was of some advantage to Crassus. For Caponius, concluding that the haste and brevity of the message, argued a bearer of no good news, ordered his men to arm forthwith, and as soon as he learned that Crassus was on the march, he went out to meet him, relieved him, and escorted his army into the city. During the night the Parthians, although they were aware of the flight of the Romans, did not pursue, but as soon as day came they attacked and slaughtered those who had been left behind in the Roman camp, to the number of four thousand, and then rode about and seized many who were wandering in the plain. Four cohorts together, also, which Vargontinus, the legate, had suffered to get detached from the main body while it was still dark, and which had lost their way, were surrounded on a sort of hill, and cut to pieces, as they fought, all except twenty men. The Parthians, admiring these men, who tried to push their way through them with drawn swords, made way for them, and suffered them to pass through, and march deliberately to Carhai. A false report now reached Serena, that Crassus, along with the men of highest rank, had made his escape and that the fugitives who had streamed into Carhai were a mixed rabble unworthy of his notice. Supposing, therefore, that he had lost the fruits of his victory, but being still in doubt and wishing to learn the truth, in order that he might either wait there and lay siege to Crassus in the city, or else let Carhai alone and pursue him, he sent one of his attendants, who could speak both languages up to the walls, with orders to call out in the Roman tongue for Crassus himself, or Cassius, saying that Serena wished to have a conference with them. The interpreter gave this message, and when it was reported to Cassius, he accepted the invitation. A little while afterwards there came from the barbarians some Arabs, who knew Crassus and Cassius well by sight, having been in their camp before the battle. When these men saw Cassius on the wall, they said that Serena proposed a truce and offered them safe conduct if they would be friends of the king and leave Mesopotamia for this he saw was more advantageous to both parties than any resort to extreme measures. Cassius accepted the proposal, and asked that time and place be fixed for a conference between Serena and Crassus. The men said that this should be done, and rode away. Now Serena was delighted that the men were where he could besiege them, and when day came he led his Parthians up against the city. With many insults they ordered the Romans, if they wished to obtain a truce, to deliver Crassus and Cassius into their hands in fetters. The Romans were distressed to find themselves deceived, in telling Crassus to abandon his distant and vain hopes of aid from the Armenians, prepared for flight, of which none of the men of Carhai were to know of beforehand. But Andromachus, the most faithless of men, learned of it, for Crassus not only confided the secret to him, but made him the guide for the journey. Accordingly, everything was known to the Parthians for Andromachus reported to them all the details. But since it was not the custom, and not so easy for the Parthians to fly by night, and since Crassus set out by night, Andromachus, by leading the fugitives, now by one route and now by the other, contrived that the pursuers should not be left far behind. And finally he diverted the march into deep marshes, and regions full of ditches, thus making it difficult and circuitous for those who still followed him. For there were some who conjectured that the twisting and turning of Andromachus boded no good, and therefore did not follow him. Cassius, indeed, went back again to Carhai, and when his guides, who were Arabs, urged him to wait there until the moon had passed the scorpion, he said that he feared the archer even more than the scorpion, and rode off into Syria with five hundred horsemen. And others, too, employing trusty guides, reached a hill country named Sinaca and established themselves in safety before Day came. These were about five thousand men, and they were led by Octavius, a brave man. But Day found Crassus, a prey to the wiles of Andromachus, and the difficult places, and the marsh. There were with him four cohorts of men-at-arms, a few horsemen all told, and five lectors. With these he got back into the road, with great difficulty, and when the enemy at once pressed upon him, And since he was about twenty furlongs short of the junction with Octavius, he took refuge on another hill, not so difficult for cavalry, nor yet so strong a position, but one that lay below Senaca and was connected with it by a long ridge running through the mist of the plain. His danger was therefore to be seen by Octavius. And Octavius ran first with a few men to bring him aid from the higher ground, then the rest of his men, reproaching themselves with cowardice, plunged forward and falling upon the enemy and sweeping them from the hill enveloped crassus round about and covered him with their shields boldly declaring that no parthian missile should smite their imperator till they had all died fighting in his defense and now serena observing that his parthians were already less impetuous in their attacks and that if night should come on and the romans should reach the hills it would be altogether impossible to capture them brought a stratagem to bear on crassus Some of his Roman captives were first released, who, while in his camp, had heard the barbarians saying to one another, as they had been ordered to do, that the king did not wish the war between him and the Romans to be waged relentlessly, but preferred to regain their friendship by doing them the favor of treating Crassus kindly. Then the barbarians ceased fighting, and Serena with his chief officers rode quietly up to the hill, unstrung his bow, held out his right hand and invited Crassus to come to terms, saying, I have put your valor and power to the test against the wishes of the king, who now, of his own accord, shows you the mildness and friendliness of his feelings by offering you to make a truce, if you will withdraw, and by affording you the means of safety. When Serena said this, the rest of the Romans eagerly accepted his proposal, and were full of joy. But Crassus, whose every discomfiture at the hands of the barbarians had been due to fraud, and who thought the suddenness of their change a strange thing, would not reply, but took the matter into consideration. His soldiers, however, cried out, and urged him to accept, then fell to abusing and reviling him for putting them forward to fight men with whom he himself had not the courage to confer, even when they came unarmed. At first he tried entreaties and arguments. If they would hold out for what was left of the day, during the night they could reach the mountains and rough country, and he showed them the road thither and exhorted them not to abandon hope when safety was so near. But when they grew angry with him, and clashed their arms together, and threatening him, then he was terrified, and began to go towards Serena. As he went, however, he turned and said, Octavius and Petronius, and ye other Roman commanders here present, ye see that I go not because I must, and ye are the eyewitnesses of the shameful violence I suffer. But tell the world, if ye get safely home, that Crassus perished because he was deceived by his enemies, and not because he was delivered up to them by his countrymen. Octavius, however, and those about him did not remain, but went down from the hill with Crassus. The lictors who were following him, Crassus drove back. The first of the barbarians to meet him were two half-breed Greeks, who leapt from their horses and made obeisance to him. Then, addressing him in the Greek tongue, they urged him to send a party forward, to assure themselves that Serena, and those about him were advancing to the conference without armor and without weapons. Crassus replied that if he had the least concern for his life, he would not have come into their hands. But nevertheless he sent two Roscii brothers, to inquire on what terms and in what numbers they should hold their meeting. These men were promptly seized and detained by Sorena while he himself with his chief officers advanced on horseback, saying, "'What is this, the Roman Imperator on foot, while we are mounted?' Then he ordered a horse to be brought for Crassus, and when Crassus answered that neither of them was at fault, since each was following the custom of his country in this meeting, Serena said that for that moment there was a truce and peace between King Herodes and the Romans, but it was necessary to go forward to the river Euphrates, and there have the contracts put in writing. "'For you Romans, at least,' said he, "'are not very mindful of agreements.' and he held out his right hand to Crassus. Then, when Crassus proposed to send for a horse, Serena said that there was no need of it, for the king offers you this one. At the same time, a horse with gold-studded bridle stood at Crassus's side, and the grooms lifted Crassus up and mounted him, and then ran along by him, quickening his horse's pace with blows. Octavius was first to seize the bridle, and after him Petronius, one of the legionary tribunes, Then the rest of the Romans in the party surrounded the horse, trying to stop him, and dragging away those who crowded in upon Crassus on either side. Scuffling followed, and a tumult, then blows. Octavius drew his sword and slew the groom of one of the barbarians, but another smote Octavius down from behind. Petronius had no offensive weapons, but when he was struck on the breastplate, leapt down from his horse unwounded. Crassus was killed by a Parthian named Pomazathres. Some, however, say that it was not this man, but another who killed Crassus, and that this man cut off the head and right hand of Crassus as he lay upon the ground. These details, however, are matters of conjecture rather than of knowledge. Four of the Romans who were present there and fighting about Crassus, some were slain, and others fled back to the hill. Thither the Parthians came and said that, as for Crassus, he had met with his deserts, but that Serena ordered the rest of the Romans to come down without fear. Thereupon some of them went down and delivered themselves, but the rest scattered during the night, and of those a very few made their escape. And the rest of them were hunted down by the Arabs, captured and cut to pieces. In the whole campaign, twenty thousand are said to have been killed, and ten thousand to have been taken alive. Serena now took the head and hand of Crassus, and sent them to Hyrodes in Armenia, But he himself sent word by messengers to Seleucia that he was bringing Crassus there alive, and prepared a laughable sort of procession, which he insultingly called a triumph. That one of his captives, who bore the greatest likeness to Crassus, Gaius Pacianus, put on a woman's royal robe, and under instructions to answer to the name of Crassus, into the title of Imperator, when so addressed, was conducted along on horseback. Before him rode trumpeters and a few lictors borne on camels. From the fasces of the lictors, purses were suspended, and to their axes were fastened, Roman heads newly cut off. Behind these followed courtesans of Seleucia, musicians who sang many scurrilous and ridiculous songs about the effeminacy and cowardness of Crassus, and these things were for all to see. But before the assembled senate of Seleucia, serena brought licentious books of the milissakia of aristides and in this manner at least there was no falsehood on his part for the books were found in the baggage of roscius and gave serena occasion to heap much insulting ridicule upon the romans since they could not even when going to war let such subjects and writings alone the people of seleucia however appreciated the wisdom of aesop when they saw serena with a wallet of obscenities from the Melisacchia in front of him, but trailing behind him a Parthian Sybaris, on so many wagon-loads of concubines. After a fashion, his train was a counterpart to the fabled Echidni and Scyteli, among serpents, by showing its conspicuous and forward portions, fearful and savage, which spears, archery, and horse, but trailing off in the rear of the line into dances, cymbals, lutes, and nocturnal revels with women." Roscius was certainly culpable, but it was shameless that the Parthians, to find fault with the Milisacchia, when many of the royal line of their Ariscadae, were sprung from Milesian and Ionian courtesans. While this was going on, it happened that Herodes was at last reconciled with Artavasdes the Armenian, and agreed to receive the latter's sister as wife for his son Pecorus, And there were reciprocal banquets and drinking bouts, at which many Greek compositions were introduced for herodes was well acquainted both with the Greek language and literature, and Ardavazdes actually composed tragedies and wrote orations and histories, some of which are preserved. Now when the head of Crassus was brought to the king's door, the tables had been removed, and a tragic actor, Jason by name of Tralles, was singing that part of the Bacchae of Euripides where Agave is about to appear. While he was receiving his applause, Selakes stood at the door of the banqueting hall, and after a low obeisance, cast the head of Crassus into the center of the company. The Parthians lifted it up with the clapping of hands, and shouts of joy, and at the king's bidding, his servants gave Selakes a seat at the banquet. Then Jason handed his costume of Pentheus to one of the chorus, seized the head of Crassus, and assuming the role of the frenzied agave, sang these verses, though as if inspired. We bring from the mountain a tendril, fresh cut to the palace, a wonderful prey. This delighted everybody. But when the following dialogue, with the chorus, was chanted, Chorus: Who slew him? Agave: Mine is the honor. Pomesarthes, who happened to be one of the banqueters, sprang up and laid hold of the head, feeling that it was more appropriate for him to say this than for Jason. The king was delighted and bestowed upon Pomesarthes the customary gifts. While to Jason he gave a talent, with such farce as this, the expedition of Crassus is said to have closed, just like a tragedy. However, worthy punishment overtook both Herodes for his cruelty and Sorena for his treachery, for not long after this, Herodes became jealous of the reputation of Sorena and put him to death, and after Herodes had lost his son Pacorus, who was defeated in battle by the Romans and had fallen into a disease which resulted in dropsy, his son, Phaeates, plotted against his life and gave him aconite. And when the disease absorbed the poison, so that it was thrown off with it, and the patient thereby relieved, Phaeates took the shortest path and strangled his father. End of Marcus Licinius Crassus